During this time of coronavirus, COVID-19, how should a CIO manage the response? Jay Farrow, he's the CIO of QuickReap. Jay, tell us about QuickReap and tell us about your role. Like you said, I'm the CIO for the Quick Creek Companies. We're the largest uh, manufacturer and packager of uh, concrete products in North America. We do a lot of other things too. It's a great family-run organization with a terrific heritage, and um, you know it's been a, a fun, a fun journey here. Uh, prior to here, I've been CIO at the American Cancer Society (AIG), uh, head of product in IT at Earthlink and uh, a number of other companies. So uh, a bit of a serial CIO, I guess. How is this situation different from all of those others from an IT standpoint? It's an entirely new game. I mean, it's entirely uh, changes the course of everything. I, I, I don't know that most CIOs have thought their way through something that would be this um, widespread with the impact that it's having in all aspects of commerce, their organization, their employees, their customers. So it's certainly the, the largest impact um, incident that, that I've dealt with in my career. And obviously we've had tragedies like 9-11 and uh, we've had weather-related incidents and we have had other pandemics, but nothing quite to this scale. And it really has changed the rules uh, on everything. You said it's a game changer. Why? And what, is that, what does that mean for you? When it dawned on us that this was happening and CIOs began to prepare all of your best laid plans, I mean, I think you look at your roadmap for 2020 and beyond and all the strategic projects and operational initiatives that we had on our plate and you cast them all to the wind, right? Because now it's all about response, not only protecting your employees uh, and enabling them, but protecting your customers and, and keeping some semblance of normalcy. So it's brought a tremendous amount of visibility to the IT. And uh, not that we weren't visible before, but certainly in a situation like this, all eyes are on technology, right? Remote work. How do we access our information? How do we conduct business? So um, all of your priorities are out the window, and this is number one priority now, right? So your priorities are out the window, and how do you develop a strategy or a plan for reprioritizing, basically turning on a dime in this way? For me, it's, it's all about looking at the business first and how do we continue um, in the safest possible way. And I'm hearing CIOs all over the place with the same recurring theme. How do we keep the business running? How do we enable our employees? How do we keep things going as smoothly as possible? How do we continue to service our customers um, as smoothly as possible, leveraging technology, a lot of the things that we already put in place, and then otherwise fast-tracking things that maybe weren't done yet or we haven't thought of? Uh, I, I think, if anything, an event like this, Michael, is going to accelerate digital transformation because it certainly is going to reveal uh, a lot of flat spots in different organizations. Why will this transform or accelerate, as you said, digital transformation? What's the, what's the mechanism for that? When you have a workforce that's suddenly, you know, all over the place, remote, they're sheltered in place, they're at home, uh, you, it, it obviously reveals processes that are dependent on physical presence. Uh, it, it reveals opportunities to streamline uh, how decisions are being made, how data is being uh, used in the organization, where, where your systems are certainly with or if they're on-prem and you're in a, 
a data center that you can't get to anymore because of an incident or because there's a, an exposure to COVID, you're in, I mean, you have a, a bigger degree of challenge. Uh, certainly, the, the public cloud has protected a lot of us uh, during this situation because of, uh, you know, it, it, it has allowed us to continue, at least in, in most people I've talked to, has allowed a lot of business continuity to happen a little more smoothly. So it's revealed some flat spots. I've talked to a number of CIOs that have said, look, we wanted a burning platform to put in more automation. We wanted a burning platform to put in um, faster and more remote access to data maybe more decision-making at the edge, uh, things like that, we now have our burning platform, right? And and looking at this, it's going to, whether it's a pandemic or a weather-related incident or another, God forbid, uh, attack, um, you know, the, the fundamentals are very similar. Cloud has been kind of the foundation of your ability to respond and be agile to this event, this situation. I don't think it's very different for other for other CIOs. I, I talk to them, and it's whether it's a three six five implementation or Azure or AWS or anything that they're doing. Certainly, it has allowed you a greater de degree of flexibility because your compute is is no longer on prem, and you're not bound by physically accessing a, a data center uh, or potentially exposing employees and having them have to leave the house in order to do you know certain tasks. Uh, and it also is an enabler for remote work, all right? When you have a large distributed workforce, and I've talked to companies much larger than ours, uh, but they have near nearly 100% of their employees uh, working remotely. And they are, um, you know, they're grateful that they have access to that information uh, on a plat you know, in a, in a platform agnostic way, where whether it's on their laptop, their mobile device, that they're able to, you know, continue to do business. You had to have put this kind of infrastructure in place ahead of time because you don't just simply, if you're operating significantly on premise, you don't just drop that and transfer it all over to cloud smoothly at the drop of a hat. It's not lift and shift. I, I heard it was so easy. I've heard that too. Well, certainly, you know, look, if you, if you talk to the cloud vendors, then it definitely seems like- It's auto-magical. It's auto-magical. Of course it is, right? It's just a press button and all your workloads are now in the cloud. So I guess I guess we don't have to talk. There's not much else for us to talk about. <laughs> I know. Let's just wrap it up, Michael. Thank <laughs> you. It's just, uh, there's an easy button and boy, boy, it's in the cloud. You know, for me, I think this is a time where good IT fundamentals really shine. And I know, you know, I know it's not the sexiest thing in the world, but look, I've done a lot of IT transformation uh, at, at different companies. And when I, when I think about transformation, I think about certain enablers. Yes, we always can talk about the sexy new technologies, new business avenues and all of that other stuff. But to enable that, you know, you still got to, you know, you still got to kind of get the trains running on time. And part of that is that, Moving to the cloud, if people can do it better, faster, cheaper, more securely, and it's not always a cost play. It's certainly about a capability play more than more than anything with me. Um, but also things like software rationalization or app rationalization, um, simplification of business processes, um, paying off technical debt where you have legacy applications that aren't nearly as flexible, perhaps, as new or more modernly designed applications. When you're doing those in peacetime <laughs> and you're doing those when there's not a pandemic, you're actually putting in fundamental building blocks toward digital transformation and freeing up capacity and enabling your business. But when something like this does hit, you're, you're much more prepared, right? Um, 
fewer applications means a smaller attack service. A better network architecture means, you know, better security, better usability, things like that. So a lot of the CIOs that I have talked to that have a continuous improvement mindset are in much better positions than others who have really left legacy thinking uh, fester. Does that make sense? I mean, it's, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I or any other CIO said, you know, I think there's a pandemic coming. To me, good IT management is, is getting rid of duplicative capabilities. It's simplification, standardization, security, efficiency, and effectiveness. If I'm always focusing on those five things as a CIO, obviously with an overarching layer of CX, of customer experience, I mean, I'm better prepared for things like this. I wish I could say I was prescient and I knew, but no, um, I'm not that good, I guess. Michael Barry asks, what pre-COVID technology investments and plans might decelerate as a result of today's pandemic? In other words, he says, what projects are the CIOs pivoting and re-ranking to address in the next six to 12 months? I think it's an extension of that prioritization question I asked earlier. It's tough to tell right now what, which projects will kind of fall off the plate. I, I think where we are or where a lot of companies are right now, we're obviously reacting, right? We're reacting and we're enabling, we're doing everything we can to keep things as normal as possible. But when I think about projects that might, you know, prior to this thought, we thought it was maybe a good idea, but post-pandemic saying, now we're going to go ahead and deprioritize those. Um, you know, certainly any other investments in legacy technology, I think any investments in technical debt, uh, I would look, I would be very cautious about throwing dollars at systems that uh, hamstrung you during this situation. I would, in fact, use it as a, as a, uh, impetus to accelerate getting off of these types of things. I've talked to CIOs and, and many of them who are just struggling because they have an ancient ERP or they have just, you know, a lot of manual processes and they're they're struggling with how to keep business going without exposing, you know, employees, that type of thing. So I, I feel like when you take a look at your portfolio after this, we're going to have to take a really hard look as IT leaders and say, okay, are we, is this a good judicious use of our, of our limited resources. In, in other words, am I throwing dollars at something that I know I should be getting rid of and, um, or that I should be deprecating or that I should be sunsetting uh, at some point? And um, I feel like uh, those are the ones that are going to fall off, but it's a terrific question. Sherry Ann Meyer says that you made the point we need to, in, about, about the workforce of today, that tomorrow is too late. And she's asking, can you elaborate on, on that? I've always been a big fan of platform agnostic, data-driven technologies where potentially knowledge workers could do their work anywhere that they need to do them. I mean, to me, that's a, a fundamental tenet of technologies that I've always wanted to put in at different companies that I've been in. I think what we're seeing now, and I've talked to a number of CIOs that work for companies that really did not have a progressive work from home strategy where they did not have, they just didn't think it through. It was just maybe counter to culture uh, or they, they and, and now they're being forced to. 
And the world, you know, quite frankly, is continuing on. We're going to get through this. And they're realizing, they're coming to the realization that, that people, by and large, are, are continuing to produce, in some cases, at a, at a higher level remotely than they were uh, in the office. So I feel like there's a huge paradigm shift. So I think it's incumbent upon IT leaders to always be thinking about that. You know, to me, it's this next generation of workers. It's a normal thing for them. My kids, I have three sons, as you know, Michael, and I have two in college and one in high school. And they're all doing remote learning and they don't miss a beat. They don't miss it. To them, it's normal, whether it's on their phone, their tablet or their computer. To them, it's normal. So I think we're laying the groundwork for that next generation to come in and uh, be able to kind of do your job anywhere, anytime. And we're seeing it with the uptake of obviously with Zoom and Teams and, and other technologies, too. So are we as CIOs thinking clearly about the investments we're making in technology that these are mobily enabled? anytime, anywhere, secure uh, technologies. When you talk about the workforce issues, uh, workforce training, workforce readiness for remote availability, remote work from home, frankly, what does the CIO have to do with that? Because isn't that the province of HR? HR operations, that type of thing. And, and this is where a CIO is one of the many times, as my good friend Tim Crawford would say, and, and he and I are in, uh, in lockstep, is that good CIOs or transformational CIOs are business leaders first. We're reaching across the aisle. We're partnering with our colleagues you know, across the organization. So this is a time where you reach out to operations, you reach out to HR, and you collaborate. And uh, to me, it's not, well, you know what? We provided the technology head of HR it's up to you to train them and tell them how to do it. And, and you know, business process, that's all you, workforce. Uh, to me, there's, there's got to be no daylight between you and your peers and pull together uh, and come up with a new way of doing it. And, and I think a lot of IT leaders still, for whatever reason, don't want to take the initiative and do that. Um, as an example, at many companies, IT has proactively put together communications, training, partnered with HR and says, here you go. Here's everything you need to get these folks up to speed on these remote technologies. Weave it into whatever communications you want. Um, and it's really fostered that dialogue. But I think it's incumbent on the CIO to take that first step and reach out and say, this is what it can and can't do. I mean, we're pretty good at business process CIOs. I mean, we see it all in the company. So we've got to leverage that and, uh, and, and make sure that people know that we have, a, we have an opinion on it too. What is the intersection between being a trans transformational CIO as opposed to a traditional infrastructure CIO and the response and the strategy to this type of situation that we're in today? The way I look at it, and, and I know we, we get hung up on, not we, but people talk about the traditional CIO being really infrastructure, ping power pipe, boxes and wires focused. And then this transformational CIO who's forward thinking, who's innovative, who's business leading. I think the, the, the world-class CIO is both, right? At the end of the day, it's not either or. The transformational CIO is good at both, right? Now, there are aspects of it that maybe go away when you become a transformational CIO of the, the old way of thinking. But never, ever forget that what IT is to your average employee, your average frontline AP clerk or office manager at a remote site... What is IT to them? IT is their machine, their browser, 
the applications they come in and use every day, and are you there when they either call the help desk, chat with the help desk, send an email ticket, and can you do that with a smile and make them feel like they're not bothering you and solve their problem on that first call, and you're constantly thinking about better ways for them to do their job. They don't care about IoT. I mean, they might, but most don't care about all the stuff that we talk about on a day-to-day basis. They're, they're consumers of it eventually, but you know, so I, I never forget that. That's why I spend so much time on the front line. So I think a world-class transformational CIO is, is doing both, and, and she or he is always business-focused first. But I have to be clear when I say that because I don't want techno- pure-play technologists or comp sci majors or anything like that to think that I'm minimizing the role of technology. We are still technology practitioners, but we're doing it with a business focus first. And then how do we marry technology capabilities to our business? Servicing customers, driving revenue, reducing reducing cost, operations, security, uh, all of those things. It's incumbent on us to understand that as business leaders and then marry that technology. So the issue is one of eliminating the uh, the concept that IT and the CIO are somehow apart from the business. And unfortunately, the common language says that they are distinct from the business because we often hear that IT and the CIO must have a different kind of relationship with the business, which implies that they're not the same. So what do we do about what do we do about that? And how serious is that an issue? I think unfortunately it still lingers, right? I hate to see it. I, I hate to see it. I think CIOs are our own worst enemies, though. We um I think we wallow in misery from time to time when we go to CIO summits and everything. It's you still hear seat at the table, seat at the table. I don't have one, they don't invite me. Uh, and then you sit down and I do, I do a lot of mentoring and coaching. I said, well, tell me what you said. Show me the email, show me the memo, show me the presentation. And more often than not, none of it is business related. Like literally the, the what's in it for me, what's in it for the company, you're not speaking their language. I mean, you're literally not taking the time to learn how your organization makes money, how they produce product, how they service their customers, and then marrying your solution to that so that these folks who don't do what we do for a living understand that you understand their world, right? We don't lead with, well, it's faster. It's got more lights. It's got more cores. It's the edge. Come on. You've read about it. It's the cloud. And no, no. The answer is that we, we visit the front lines. We reach across the aisle. We visit our remote locations and understand business process. And then we go back and noodle and go, all right, I've got some ideas. And I'm, you know me, Michael, I'm a big fan of prototyping and proofs of concept where I tend not to ask for permission. I, I tend to go ahead and build a proof of concept. And more often than not, I mean, almost 100% of the time, we bring it back and go, look, what th- this is what you're doing today. What about this? And people are going, I, I didn't know, A, you understood our business process like that. and B. We want that. Yeah. Um, I think about mobile apps we've built. I think about BI capabilities we've built. I think about other things that I've done throughout my career where had we waited to be knighted by the, the business, we never would have done it. We never would have done it. What, what, what made it happen was IT, not just Jay Farrow or the CIO, IT, everybody in IT spending time learning uh, and then ideating. 
and coming back with, with ideas. Not everyone's going to be a winner, but, um, you know, right. what, what position and what group uh-huh. is better, is better positioned to understand than us? None. Arsalan Khan asks, pre-pandemic, there were trust issues with IT budgets from CFOs, people working from home, and et cetera. Now it seems those trust issues were a facade. Post-pandemic, hopefully IT has more budget and direct line to the, to the CEO and even the board. So I think this gets directly to the point, Jay, that you were just talking about, which is how do we forge that gap and elevate IT so that, quite frankly, IT is not seen as a as a poor cousin to, quote unquote, the business. I totally agree. And I think he makes a great point. I, I hope it sticks. I really do. I hope it sticks because what we're seeing now and you know, I'm on calls every day with other CIOs or, you know, leaning on our colleagues in the industry. What are you doing? What are you doing? And I'm hearing that same thing where there was this reticence to do it, this apprehension. And all of a sudden, now that you've been able to provide it and the world hasn't ended and the technology is working, that there's there's a significant amount of buy-in. What I hope is that most companies see this and are more open to a new way of working, Right. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that a, a company today is going to go to all remote work or anything like that, but maybe it's the beginning of a culture shift. And the other point that I think leaders are kind of born in, you know, trial by fire, this is a time for CIOs to step up. This is the time for leaders to show that they understand not just DR, business continuity, but they understand how their company works day to day. And how they how they under have a grasp of the company's operations to close that gap you just mentioned, Michael, because that's a problem. That is a problem, and I'm hoping a lot of lights go on in those CFOs' heads and those heads of operation where they're going, "Man, you actually have a pretty good grasp of what we do. Maybe we ought to get you involved in some of these meetings." It's it's never going to be binary. Where t- today I'm not involved, tomorrow I'm involved, but I think it's going to open some eyes for the CIO that takes advantage of the opportunity. In this crisis environment, are there specific opportunities that may exist for the CIO to prove her worth or his worth? All comes down to execution. Everybody loves a winner, right? I mean, they say that, uh, you, you know, like when your sports team's not doing well, everybody's on Twitter and everybody's, you know, complaining about the team, fire the coach, but suddenly that team's a playoff team and it's, it's, uh, it's a totally different conversation. And I think it's very similar with a, a CIO. It's, it's execution and delivery and communication and transparency and leading from the front. You know, our job is during crisis is to lead from the front as CIOs in these tough times. You know, I, I want to I deflect heat and all of those things away from my team so that they can focus on serving our customers and serving our, our staff who are doing the, the hard work of keeping a company going. And during the good times, you know, leaders lead from behind. So I feel like there's opportunities right now to show yourself as not only a great technologist because you're able to pivot and react and enable your workforce with the solutions that you're, you know, hey, we have great VPN, we have great VDI capabilities, we have, you know, uh, people can do their job on on a dime on a, on a laptop or on a mobile device, look at everything to see we're starting to to pay off. If you execute those, that's one thing. But I think it's also the way you communicate, 
the way that you show no fear in this situation and the way that you bring options and alternatives to the, the heads of your company saying, this is what we can do. Um, we have options and that you're, you're, you're always thinking about how to, uh, to improve. So yeah, uh, it, but it's, it's the opportunity is action and execution to me. And ideas are pretty cheap. Look, right. I mean, ideas are obviously the motivator, but ultimately the execution of those ideas is what turns is what creates opportunity and what creates the, the outcomes that enable opportunity. You're so right. I mean, I wish more IT leaders remember that, Michael. It's such good advice that the thing that you just said, we love to hear ourselves talk. And I, I'm sure you've been on calls where we opine and wax poetic on all sorts of technologies and powerful forces and all of these things are going to fundamentally change the world, but we can't execute out of a paper bag. And I'm like, but how much of it have you actually done? And uh, I agree. I, I think it's both. It's not either or, but uh, idea, you know, idea without execution is imagination. So, Cedric Wells says, what do you say to the leaders who do not think their workforce can be as productive remotely? How can organizations set themselves up to be better prepared for the future of work? Metrics, measurement of, of what they're doing, looking at productivity. Ideally, there's some metrics that you have where whether it's a service desk associate or a, an engineer that normally handled X number of tickets and they're now they're working remotely and they, they were able to, to do that same amount, if not more, I can tell you that I'm hearing all over the place that, you know, we've got engineers and, and service desk and developers that are, that are at least as productive, if not more. To me, data is where you're going you're gonna to prove your case, right? And if you continue to execute as an IT organization and go back and go, oh, by the way, that delivery that we just did, uh, of the eight people that were on the project, seven worked remotely and have them look at you like, really? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, we get more work when they're working from home and they're just as productive. And Michael, you know what my work, you know, my, my personal uh, opinion, uh, Jay Farrow uh, is if on work from home, when you're doing it, it's six words, do your job, be available, communicate. If you're doing those things, uh, you know, you're going to be do your job, be available, communicate. And, but ideally you can show them something empirical where, look, we usually do this many tickets and now it's this and it's the same. We, there was no drop off this many lines of code, this many releases, uh, this many change tickets, you know, whatever that metric, those metrics are for you. I think it, there's an opportunity to show that working remotely can be as, if not more productive. That communication part is extremely important. And I would imagine even more so today. And, and quite frankly, I think it's an area that some CIOs, especially those who have grown up as technologists rather than business people, can sometimes use help with. I agree. I agree. And my challenge to them is get out of your comfort zone. And you don't have to be a master communicator overnight. You don't have to, you know, to, to get on stage tomorrow and, and, and do all those things, but, but start to take bite-sized pieces out of it. You know, make a phone call, get up out of your seat and go, go visit someone. Obviously, when all this is passed, maintain distance, but, uh, you know, ha have that conversation, initiate the lunch, initiate the WebEx or, or the, the conference call or the Zoom meeting and say, 
look, I just like to pick your brain. And, and I know a number of CIOs, like you said, that were native technologists, and that's, that's uncomfortable to them. They, they, they just, that's not their default position. And my challenge is you don't have to be do it all in one day, just start to chip away at it and the muscle memory will begin to form. But also during calmer times, have a communication plan. I, I mean, obviously during crisis, you want a communication plan too, but when things are calmer, have a, have a communication plan. How are we reaching the executive team, internal to IT, the entire company, outside of IT? What is the cadence of our communication? What are the vehicles of our communication? Hey, we're going to do a quarterly newsletter. Hey, we're going to do a, a, a lunch and learn, that type of thing. And I think when you begin to do those things and hold yourself accountable to those deliverables, it gets, uh, it gets easier. You spoke about execution. Let's shift our focus there for a moment. So in this pandemic situation, at some point, you realized that we have a major problem and we're going to have to do things differently. When did you, at what point did, did you realize that and what did you do? What was your response? I don't recall the actual day. I think it was in early March where it became very apparent that this was going to, this was going to get more serious. And we started mapping out scenarios and what, if it got bad, because at the time we didn't know, and, and depending on who you were listening to on online, it either was or wasn't going to be the, you know, the, the catastrophic event that, it, that it's turned out to be or the, the, you know, to have the impact that it's had. But we started doing scenarios. Okay, if X amount of the workforce has to work remotely, um, are we ready? Do we have machines ready? You know, is the VPN ready? Are, are the, all these technologies ready? Do we have enough licenses for everything? And, and you begin to map out worst case scenario, mid case scenario, best case scenario. And what would we do if those types of things? And, um, you know, again, this is where good IT always pays, pays its benefit. I mean, I've talked to a lot of CIOs who made a lot of good progress in just the fundamentals over the last 18, 24, 36 months into their tenure, and they're, they're reaping the benefit of it now. Um, one CIO that I talked to said, if, if this had happened a year ago, we would have been in big trouble because we just weren't, we wouldn't have been ready. Um, our infrastructure couldn't have handled it, uh, et cetera. So for us, it was, we don't know how bad this is going to be. Um, but we're going to be prepared for the worst. I have also spoken with a number of CIOs who said, who, who've told me that their ability to respond connects directly to the fact that they have been migrating systems to the cloud over the course of the last year, year, year or two. Oh yeah. I, I think that's spot on. I think that's spot on. I, I feel like I mean, we'll take credit for it now and go, yeah, well, of course we did it on purpose because we knew this was going to happen. No, but it, it you know, to, to me, uh, those things were, were, were reaping the benefit, you know, we're reaping the benefit now. Um, some CIOs were not, are not that far along in their journey and they're having to uh, pivot a good bit um, and come up with alternatives to that. 
And we have another excellent question from Arsalan Khan. And here's what Arsalan says. So he agrees that we need to understand business processes inside and out, both inside and outside of IT. And here's the kicker. He is not aware of any company that has a complete grasp on them since some of these processes are ad hoc and not even documented. And so, right, so, and you were speaking earlier just a moment ago about the need to understand those processes for, from an execution standpoint in order to then be able to adapt in a situation like this. And so, therefore, the question is, what do you do? You don't, you know, you, you don't even know all the processes. What do you do? Yeah, it's tough. He, he's, he's spot on in every company. Every company I've ever been in has that challenge, right? Every company I've been in has that challenge where it's muscle memory, it's institutional knowledge, it's just kind of ingrained in what they do, but there's no playbook they handle. And this is what we do today. Go digitize this or, or go transform this. Um, and this is where, quite frankly, I think IT can shine because of our analytical capability and our business process capability. Where we, what I've done personally, excuse me, what I've done personally, my teams at multiple companies, Michael, is we've done ride-alongs. We've sat with our frontline staff and, and asked all these questions. And we put our consultant hat on and said, walk me through a day in the life. When an invoice comes in, when a, a ship ticket comes in, when you get a phone call at the American Cancer Society and it's a somebody who needs something, where does it go from there? And you're, you're putting on your private investigator hat and you're going to go be a, a business analyst at some point and, and document it yourself. Sometimes you need external help. Um, and then you begin to challenge, why, are, why do we have nine handoffs? Why, do we, why does it hit six systems? Why does it need to see so many people? Uh, you're going to ruffle feathers, I promise you. I, I, every company I've ever been in, I've had people who, some of whom are now CIOs, like my good friend, Sean Hunt, who is CIO at McKinney's here in Atlanta. And I would sick him on people back when he worked for me, when he was a, a lonely, a lowly IT manager. And, and he would ruffle feathers and, and he, cause he asked challenging questions and he'd be up in front of the whiteboard and he'd say, so you're okay with nine steps of in it going back and forth when it could be done in two. Instantly, I'd get a phone call. That's Sean. I don't think he's, he's, a, he's really, you know, blah, 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 blah. Is he right? Well, yeah, he's right. But, and, and I think there's an opportunity for the CIO to show that they can improve business processes, not just ingest business processes. Um, so, yeah, but it's a challenge. Arsalan's absolutely right. You're not being handed a playbook of this is everything we do. Go learn it. What I find particularly interesting is we, we hear about IT and the CIO needing to be agile and responsive to changing business needs. But it's in this case, it was the prior investment in certain types of infrastructure and systems, specifically cloud, that has enabled, so that a technology in this case has directly enabled responsive changes to workforce composition, working from home, workforce relationships. So it seems like a, a, a uniquely clear example of infrastructure driving business agility. 
I love it. I, I love it. I love, I have heard so many business executives, non-IT folks who uh, have gone from anti-cloud or cloud agnostic, you know, just cloud ambivalent, we'll call it, to why don't we have everything in the cloud? Because they're seeing the benefit uh, and the flexibility that when done right, that the cloud can afford. Now, again, it's not a silver bullet. People get bitten by cost overruns. They get bitten by poorly architected applications. Uh, like you said at the beginning of the organization, or we'd laughed about, you know, they think it's lift and shift. But when done correctly, it affords a lot of flexibility uh, to an organization. Can you tell us what's next? Just from where you sit now, what do you hear other CIOs talking about? What are your what's your thinking about where we go next in this uncharted, and we hear this term unprecedented, appropriate, uh, appropriately used term, unprecedented? I think it's going to be um, a game changer. I talked about earlier about accelerating digital transformation. I think it's exposed a lot of areas in many companies where they can uh, improve. First and foremost, it's all about keeping your customers and your employees safe and getting through this period and then figuring out a way to return to normal business in, a, in the safest uh, possible way. After that, there's going to be time to reflect, not much, but some time to reflect and figure out what could we have done better. But more importantly, how are we going to learn from this and not, unfortunately, like many CIOs or many companies, I don't want to pin it just on the CIO, we tend to have short-term memory, Michael, you know that. Uh, we fly after after airlines crash. We, we, we do things, not that we shouldn't, but we have to have short-term memories because bad things happen. And we want to get back to a new sense of normal, but we can't, we can't rest on that, right? I, I think there's an opportunity for us to learn from this as IT leaders and as leaders, period, and have it frame our decision-making going forward, um, inform, rather, our decision-making going forward. So I hope we don't lose that, right? And I don't want the conversation just to be, well, if there's another pandemic, we're going to be ready. It's, it's even beyond what the incident is. It's how are we framing a new way to work, a new way to communicate, a new way to collaborate? Um, were we thinking about this the wrong way so that we're better prepared? And by the way, even when there's not a pandemic, when there's not an incident, our business as usual, our standard operating procedures are vastly improved because we're taking advantages of that same technology and that same thinking. So I hope we do that. I, I hope we just don't fall back into our own patterns. I, I suspect most CIOs and leaders will learn from it, but some unfortunately probably won't and they'll forget about it and be bitten next time. What advice do you have for CIOs today who may be feeling overwhelmed, who haven't prepared as fully as they might have? Uh, they're scared for their health, the safety of their employees. They're scared for their own job. They're behind the eight ball. What should they be doing now? First of all, take care of yourself. Take care of your family. You know, do everything that you can do. There's no sense in beating yourself up. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Can't do anything about that. You are where you are. Do everything you can during that day and come back the next day and, and live to fight another day. So don't, don't get wrapped around the axle at the enormity of it. Um, what's the old saying? You eat an elephant one bite at a time. You just got to take the biggest bite you can every day and, and move forward. 
and and you know be the leader that your organization needs. I mean, you you your employees and your staff, your peers are looking at you. Now is not a time to wilt or feel sorry for yourself. Now is a time to rise up and show them that you're the leader that they can depend on through crisis. That's not a guarantee that something bad won't happen, um, but it's certainly uh, more likely that something good will happen, and uh, you know something positive will come out for for you as a as a future leader. And also stay vigilant with security because the bad guys, of course, they never let a crisis go to waste. So continue to stay vigilant. We know there's a lot more activity out there. So I, I'd be failing miserably if I didn't mention security. I have seen uh, on the CXO Talk website, we we pay for an external firewall. And I'm looking at the logs and I see that there are people who are really making considered attempts to hack our website. And some, you know, the firewall's blocking some of it, some of it's not. They haven't gotten through as far as I know, but I'm seeing these repeated attempts. And some of these are very sophisticated because I can see the queries that they're trying to post, looking for various vulnerabilities. I am but a humble, well, my wife would say I'm not so humble, industry, industry analyst. What can I do to protect myself? Well, certainly you can get some external help just to review everything that you're doing to make sure you're as being as vigilant as you can. You're already doing a lot even by looking at the logs. So I, I would certainly lean on your, your vast network, Michael, of, of folks and, and uh, maybe get a little external help to, to tighten things up and just make sure that there aren't any windows or doors open that you're not aware of. So I, I would absolutely do that, whether it's, you know, pen testing or vulnerability assessments, those types of things. Um, the other thing is, I, I mean, you're going to see a lot more activity. Every organization is seeing it, whether it's things that are just brute force or blunt kind of, you know, really bad phishing attempts all the way to more sophisticated attacks. And why is that? Well, our, our attention is diverted, right? Our attention is diverted to remote work. Uh, people are learning new skills. They're flexing new muscles. What better time to attack them than when there's uncertainty in the system? So um, we remind our employees to stay vigilant. I, th I know other CIOs are. Question everything when you get an email. Don't click on things unless you're 100% sure. Um, triple check everything and, and uh, you know, just assume, assume a negative intent at this point if there's any, uh, anything about, about it that smells fishy. And why would sophisticated people, I mean, I'm telling you, the, the queries that I'm seeing on our site are very sophisticated, very, you know, these are coming from, these attacks are coming from very, very, very knowledgeable people. Why would anybody bother with the CXO Talk website? There's no database, there's nothing, there's no credit cards, there's nothing there. They want everything. And, 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 it, and its thing is, it's, a lot of it is so automated that they don't even know what they're doing. And when they get a hit, then they're going to come back and, and maybe investigate further. So really what they're doing is you're seeing a lot of bulk attacks, you know, um, spray and pray kind of attacks looking for, looking for vulnerabilities. I remember at the American Cancer Society now, clearly you and I being in doing what we do for a living, you would say, well, an organization as big as that was or is as global as it is and the way that they take in money, donations, et cetera, you're dealing with patients, you're dealing with volunteers, you know, you've got some data there. I remember a number of business leaders in the organization who have long since retired, they have said, well, we're the good guys. You know, they don't, they wouldn't come after us. And I'm like, I, I, I can't even with a statement like that. 
they're bad guys. They don't care who it, who they're going after. They're going to go after you. And it's that kind of attitude that gets people that gets people in trouble. So stay vigilant and, uh, you know, lean on third parties, a little bit of third party help if you need to. Um, don't take it personally. I don't think they're after Michael Krigsman. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think that's what it is at this point. All right. Jay Farrow, CIO of Quickery. Thank you for, for being with us and talking with us today on CXO Talk, Jay. It's my pleasure, Michael. Great to see you. Stay safe. Everybody, thank you for watching, and especially to those people on both LinkedIn and Twitter who commented today. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel and subscribe to our newsletter. Hit the subscribe button at the top of our website. We'll see you soon. Go to CXOTalk.com. Great shows, really great shows coming up, and I hope you have a great day and stay safe wherever it is that you are today. Bye-bye, everybody. Have a good one.